Is Jimmy Barbecue Cherizier in Haiti a bandit, a revolutionary, or another puppet of the Haitian hierarchy? Was President Jovenel Moise murdered for seeking alliances with his puppet master's geopolitical rivals? What is the history of the white families and warlords in Haiti that commit violence without impunity to the Haitian people? Why is Prime Minister Trudeau still trying to mobilize foreign troops to invade Haiti? This week on the Global Research News Hour, we are returning to Haiti to look at the remarkable events taking place there since the assassination of President Moise last year and then escalating with the barricade around the fuel port this autumn. We will first hear from Haitian-born lawyer and Haiti advocate Izili Danto about the real reasons behind the UN call for troops to mount an assault in Haiti, the role of the supposed savior Jimmy Cherizier, and other elements mobilizing the crowds against non-democratic governments and policies. In our second half hour, the outspoken commentator, activist and radio host Jeffrey Caite Jean Seville talks about Canada's specific interests in maintaining the Haitian nation's white supremacist status quo. On this week's program, Haitian democracy under the thumb of the UN, US, and Canadian white saviors. Bringing you the analysis beyond the media headlines, the Global Research News Hour is on the air. Welcome to the Global Research News Hour for the week of December 2nd, 2022. The program is funded by the Centre for Research on Globalization and produced in collaboration with campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg. I'm your host, Michael Welch. The show seeks to provide listeners with access to analysis of some of the major issues shaping our world today from thinkers, researchers, and unique political personalities rarely addressed by major media. Our shows are features on partner radio stations across Canada and the United States and available for streaming or download at the site globalresearch.ca. We would like to acknowledge that this program is produced on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe, Ininu, Ojikri, Dene, and Dakota, the birthplace of the Métis Nation and the heart of the Métis Nation homeland. We note that the land was taken from them in defiance of the settlers' roles in existing agreements. We resolve to rectify this injustice as we continue to draw attention to similar just injustices around the world, such as Haiti. But first, we're going to listen to News Notes, a sampling of articles from the Global Research News site. Listeners should know that some of the articles may run against common messaging about sensitive subjects and are not all endorsed by this radio station. There is no shortage of examples of the celebrity COVID vax injury phenomenon, particularly among those who virtue signaled their vaccinations. Actor Bob Odenkirk, an otherwise seemingly healthy 58-year-old Hollywood star, promoted the shot in March 2021 in a choreographed publicity stunt, probably at the behest of the show's producers, while shooting the last season of Better Call Saul. Shortly thereafter, in July, he suffered a heart attack on set. Pop icon Katy Perry recently experienced a haunting eye malfunction live on stage that looked a lot like Guillain-Barre syndrome, 
or similar neurological conditions known to result from the jabs. Canadian actress Jennifer Gibson got her face totally wrecked by the vax. That comes from the article Celebrity COVID Vax Injuries by Ben Barty, posted December 1st, originally published on the Daily Bell. The video below is the Canadian Constitution Foundation's closing argument made in the Public Order Emergency Commission on November 25th, 2022. The argument was made by Sujit Chowdhury, counsel of the CCF, under the premise that Trudeau did not have the authority to invoke the Emergencies Act. That was from the introduction under the headline video, Trudeau did not have authority to invoke the Emergencies Act Canadian Constitution Foundation's closing argument, posted December 1st, originally published by the Canadian Constitution Foundation. As if ongoing corruption scandals, including the FTX-Kiev regime DNC connection, weren't enough, the troubled Biden administration is now faced with another one. According to the latest reports, the U.S. government is unable to account for the approximately $20 billion worth of weapons it sent to the Kiev regime. The U.S. Congress has become a place of heated debates as Republicans warn there will be, quote, impending audits, unquote, after they take full control of the House of Representatives in January. Major news media, such as Fox News, claim that U.S. government under Biden inspected only 10% of approximately 22,000 weapons it sent to the Kiev regime from late February to November. The GOP wants audits to determine what is going on with the massive amounts of weapons the U.S. is sending and how much of it is ending up, quote, where it's supposed to be, unquote. That comes from the article, Pentagon cannot account for $20 billion worth of weapons in Ukraine while another $19 billion for Taiwan is missing. By Drago Bozhnich, posted December 1st, originally published on Infobricks. This roadmap for global totalitarianism was agreed to by 179 nations, including the U.S., at the 1992 Sustainable Development Conference in Brazil. We've seen various facets of Agenda 21 being implemented throughout the last three years under the cover of biosecurity and the global COVID-19 pandemic. The Green New Deal, a green agenda, Build Back Better, the Fourth Industrial Revolution, the transhumanist movement, and the Great Reset all further and facilitate the implementation of Agenda 21. Agenda 21 is based on the ideology of communitarianism, which argues that, quote, an individual's rights should be balanced against rights of the community, unquote. Community, however, in the mind of the globalists, is made up of non-governmental organizations, corporations, and government, which are to dictate what happens around the world. That comes from the article, We Will Be Sacrificed for Global Standardization of Systems, by Dr. Joseph Mercola, posted December 1st, originally published on the Mercola website. 
These are just a few of the featured articles appearing last week on the Global Research website. Regular visitors to the site are encouraged to send monetary contributions by fax, mail, or online. Just go to globalresearch.ca and click Donate on the menu bar. There were protests and roadblocks rising in Haiti following the decision by the Prime Minister of the de facto government, Ariel Henry, to raise gas prices in September in response to Washington and IMF pressure. The armed group FRG9 joined in by barricading the entrance to the Verruz depot through which 70% of all Haitian gas flows. They demanded Henri either roll back the fuel hike or resign. Henri, on October 9th, put out a request to the United Nations asking them to send foreign troops to Haiti to, quote, retake control of the situation. The main pretext for the invasion was removed weeks later when Haitian police using armed vehicles provided by Canada and the United States broke through the FRG-9 blockade at the Verruz fuel terminal. But the situation, while not quite as acute, is still unresolved from the point of view of the powers that be in the U.S. and U.N. Joining me to discuss this situation is Izili Danto. She's the founder and president of the Haitian Lawyers Leadership Network, a network of lawyers, activists, concerned individuals, and grassroots organizations dedicated to institutionalizing the rule of law and protecting the civil and cultural rights of Haitians at home and abroad. She believes that the Haitian people, in spite of the suffering they have had to face for two centuries after being in an independent state in 1804 and then having their freedoms removed by the chains of white supremacy, the Haitian people will endure. Keely, it's good to have you on our show. Welcome to the Global Research News Hour. Thank you so much, Michael, for inviting me. The UN said earlier in November that nearly half the population is facing acute hunger and an uncontrolled cholera outbreak. The human rights chief warned the country is, quote, on the verge of an abyss, unquote. Uh, if Canada and the United States frame their intervention as a mission of mercy, what do you say to the suggestion that the unrest and chaos is the result of these protests and the gang violence in its midst? I say that the unrest and the chaos lies in the hands directly of the United States-led core group of ambassadors who have been running Haiti since 2004. They're the ones that created this sort of death squad in the olden days, they used to call them paramilitary. Today, they, they, they call it gangs in order to make it seem like it's black on black crime. And the United States has nothing to do with what's going on at the moment. But the template for colonialism and imperialism, like they create ISIS, they create Al Qaeda, and then it gets out of hand. So they play both role, villain and hero. But at the end of the day, it's what's behind all this chaos that's important. It's the Syrian Lebanese overseers of imperialism who are the oligarchs that you will never see their faces. They're the white Haitians who run those ports, whether it's Port Verez 
or Port Lafito, and they're having a clash. And in that clash, they each have their different poor patients that they pay to fight for territory. Hmm. Um, on October the 21st, there was a, a resolution passed at the UN Security Council, co-authored by Washington, blaming one man, Jimmy Barbecue Cherizier, as responsible for all of Haiti's problems. I mean, several mainstream media outlets are, are reflecting the view that Cherizier is a bandit and a gang leader. Uh, he's stirring up trouble. Innocent people are suffering from the, the mayhem he's stirring up. Could you give us a sense of what the facts are around Cherizier? Is he a bandit or is he a revolutionary or something else altogether? Okay, number one, he's not a revolutionary. Number two, he works for the core group and these oligarchs. They're the ones that, if they didn't want him in, for your folks to understand, so you don't get lost in the mainstream media, uh, U U.S. State Department bulletins, the United States has the largest U.S. embassy in the Western Hemisphere in Haiti. You're going to tell me that one man, without a military, facing the largest U.S. embassy in the Western Hemisphere and the fourth largest U.S. embassy in the world, that's in tiny Haiti, whose sole purpose is to survey Cuba and Venezuela because of Russia. So they have all of this hardware they have all, and, and let's not forget, they're right there in Guantanamo with a military base, right? Policeman who has been accused of murder, who has a warrant already in IET. So if he is a criminal, which he is, um, why hasn't the Haitian police backed up by all of these big powers, nuclear powers. The core group is made up of six nations and three Bretton Woods organizations, the, the, the largest ones, right? So in the Western Hemisphere, it's the Organization of, of American State, it's the European Union and the uh, uh, UN, right? And the UN has 154 nations and so forth. They were in Haiti for almost 17 years. And let me tell you, Beef, and, and I want your audience to look this up. What is the violence rate of Dominican Republic? Look that up. Then look up what's the violence rates of IET. And then add the Jamaica or even Brazil or any of the countries that the United States is going to asking them to lead a mission into Haiti. What is their violence rate? The last time I looked, the violence rate for Brazil, for instance, was 54 over 100,000 in terms of homicide. The violence rates for, for, for Dominican Republic, the one that the United States used to contain Haiti and poverty, is 10 over 100,000. IET, before the UN came, our violence rate was half of that, 5.7. After 10, almost 20 years, since 2004, of the UN being there, they have brought us kidnapping. Haiti never had kidnapping, but it was always in Mexico. It was always in Dominican, not Dominican Republic, but um, Brazil. They brought all that in. 
in the 17 years that they stayed in IET. And they taught these men how to shake down their own people the way the Mexican cartels do, the way the Dominican, the, the Colombian cartels do, the way that it's done in the favelas of Brazil. And now you have policemen who are trained like Cherizier by the core group of nations, the United States, France, Canada, Germany, Spain, and Brazil, six nations whose ambassadors have gotten together. It's the first time in diplomatic history in violation of the Geneva Convention of Diplomacy, where six nations get together and they have one goal, is to control IET's resources and divide it amongst themselves. They use they used to use Brazil, right? Now there's this problems because the United States is losing control. This is why you hear this conversation of invasion. Colombia, it's losing control. It was its solid client state that the DEA used constantly with using IET and other of the various islands to dump drugs because you know Colombia makes 70% of the cocaine in the world. The US military was in control of that. So was the DEA. They're starting to lose control. They've also starting to lose control in Nicaragua. They had problems with Brazil because Brazil did not kill as many people when they came in 2004 in IET. The United States made Brazil. That's what they're looking for now. They're looking for another Brazil. The U.S. doesn't want to be the lead military in IET because then it will show its hand and it will show the importance of Haitian iridium, Haitian gold, Haitian geopolitical position between Cuba and Venezuela. So it's looking for a proxy. Back in 2004, Lula made that deal that in exchange for getting a seat on the Security Council, it would lead for IET. But they got into difficulties because the Clintons wanted one thing and Lula wanted something else with regards to the sweatshops. Lula has his brother-in-law who owns the biggest sweatshops. They wanted to bring them to IET. The United States wouldn't allow it. And so Brazil was gone as the lead inside of the military that was occupying IET on behalf of these six nations in the European Union and the OAS, the mulatto nations, and the UN. But now they're trying, they're scrambling, they've gone to Mexico. The Bahamas are all ready to come. They've gone to all the African nations. They're looking for a face, a mulatto or black face to lead that so the United States could hide behind it. Back in the day during the earthquake fight, uh, when, when we had that in 2010, it was Bill and Hillary Clinton that replaced the Brazilian lead under Obama. They were the one that controlled everything. They were the ones that controlled what they call the, the, the earthquake relief. Cherizier is this policeman that's trained by these core group nations who bring their, for instance, who brings their New York policemen, gives them $100,000 to come to IET to train Haitian police. It's just a nice little slush fund, right? Um, and then what they do is 
because the United States controls the money in IET along with the overseers, when they want to squeeze Haitians or the parliament, they will not pay the policemen. So they might have, they spent in one year, eight months not paying them. So what do you have? You have gangs. They use their guns to shake down people. The United States knows this and they do it on purpose. Cherizier is no revolutionary. He has a, a bounty on his head from the Haitian courts, but he's still out there. Why? Because he controls a particular area for a very big Haitian oligarch that has a lot of lobbying power in the United States. Wow. And so there are two, two big oligarchs. One is Biggio, Gilbert Biggio family. The other one is Merv. Merv owns the Verez port. Mm. Biggio, and that's really what's going on. Um, yeah. Always remember three things. It's all about our resources and our ge geopolitical space between Cuba and Venezuela and those windward passage shipping lines. Mm. In July of last year, sorry, um, in July of last year, Jovenel Moise uh, was assassinated. The, the guy who, like Martelli before him, uh, something of a puppet president of, of the Canada-U.S forces. You wrote an article on how his assassination was executed directly or indirectly by their puppet masters and that the assassination in your minds delivered a message um, to all Haitians and regional actors in the uh, Americas. The message is if you try to find allies to counter U.S. domination, if you resist our total domination and corruption, we will gouge out both your eyes, break your neck, your arms and your legs. It's a quote from your article. Uh, could you talk about how Moisey, the, the puppet, was aligning himself with U.S. enemies and, and about how the way the Haitian people in the streets are, are have responded to this message? Well, yes. So um, in 2004, for those who don't know, I used to represent the first democratically elected president of Haiti, Jean-Bertrand Aristide, back in 1994. Um, the United States gave them two coup d'etats because they do not want, uh, want either dictatorship, outright dictatorship, which is what we have right now, supported by the United States. Ariel Henry, the guy that the U.S. put in after the assassination of July 7th, 2021, um, is, uh, 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 was put in by a tweet by a U.S. representative named Ellen Lalume at the U.N. who runs the U.N. mission in IET. And she is a veteran diplomat from the United States, Ellen Lalume. So Haitians have been facing the brutality of imperialism essentially alone. Even though um, Jovenel Moise was put in uh, over the head in protest of the Haitian people, and he's a puppet, at the end of his term, he really understood what he didn't understand when he first came. And one could only guess that his, his patrons wanted him to do things that he did not want to do. So at the end, what he, what he did was he went to Turkey and made a bilateral deal between him and Turkey. And you all know, the, 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 you know what that means geopolitically. And at the same time, because right there with the Ukraine war, you all know of that passage 
of, of right there in the Crimean Sea and how important it is to U.S. geopolitical interests. And so he was looking for a way for us to break the stranglehold of those core group former enslaving nations. For those who don't know, IET was the first to beat the European nations in combat to create IET um, in 1804. And they've been coming after us since to destroy that independence. And so that's essentially what Jovenel Moise did. He was looking for a nuclear power to counteract the United States uh, brutality against the Haitian people. So <laughs> if you all remember when Trump was president uh, and before him, they had decided that Juan Guaido was the real president of Venezuela and they tried to do a coup d'etat. And why? Because Venezuela has the largest cache of oil. And the United States corporatocracy wants it. It's theirs. We have oil. The head of Venezuelan's oil is in our waters. The United States has just been taking it out without any giving the people anything. But they give you this, this, this violence of black on black violence because racism allows you to believe it. Um, so essentially, before he was killed, one month before he was killed, and as you said, those who want to know the details can go to my esleydental.com website and read what we wrote immediately after he died. But right before he died, he went to Venezuela. He accepted the credentials of the U.S. ambassador, of the Russian ambassador, and gave him papers to be in IT. That, you know, made the United States have two cats and a baby. They went nuts in a month after he was dead. So that what he did was, um, while the United States is, is, is this arch enemy of Venezuela, Russia has been supporting, it's the, it's, it's the military power that maintains the independence of the oil of Venezuela so that it can be able to, to, to sell it to whoever it wants. Haiti wants that. We want to be able to not have the United States and the core group nation divide our resources and sell it among themselves like they did with Hillary Clinton giving her brother a gold license. And then, you know, people went up in arms. Um, and so they, they had to get rid of that. But essentially, that's what they're doing. They have Majesco. They have taken under Obama with Bill and Hillary Clinton. The U.S. took 30 percent of Haitian lands up in the north, 15 percent of its gold belt. And below, they have made 25,000 acres in the South, bio, bio, biodiversity sphere stuff for the UN. They're just chopping us up while they're giving the, the, the people, you, you guys out there, this vision that these Haitians can't rule themselves, they're killing each other, and the United States has nothing to do with it. So what you have to understand about his death it will never be solved. When I saw that the that the FBI was investigating, right? We Haitians just like it, like their arrogance is beyond. Um, it's just beyond the beyond. It's like it's like having the rapists uh, investigate the rape. The DEA has informants as part of the people that helped killed <clears throat> Jovenel. The FBI. And it's all in the New York Times. It's not this radical Esley don't talk talking. Just look in the New York Times. The FBI, the DEA, and the U.S. government has ties to these Colombians 
As a matter of fact, trained them in the military, hires them as their proxy. The, 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 the security company that is responsible, according to the FBI, for hiring these mercenaries that came to kill Jovenel is the same security that was hired to take down um, um, Madero in Venezuela. <laughs> uh, it's, 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 you know, and that's what we're dealing with. So my job is to tell you the truth. Their job is to uh, obfuscate the truth, but understand, just look it up. One month before Jovenel Moise was murdered, he had accepted the credentials of a Russian ambassador to be in Haiti. That was just too close for the United mm -hmm. States. Yeah. Well, I, I'm afraid we're at the end of our time, but I, I would really like to thank you, Azili Danto, uh, for this uh, fascinating discussion. Uh, it's much appreciated. Thank you for being on my show. Happy Makaya. Happy harvest season. Thank you very much. We've been speaking with Izili Danto, founder and president of uh, the Haitian Lawyers Leadership Network. To read her articles, please visit the website ezilidanto.com. You're listening to the Global Research News Hour, broadcasting from CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg and from partnering radio stations across Canada and the United States. With the perspective on the new developments plaguing Haiti from the point of view of an activist born in Haiti and living in Canada, we have with us Jean Seville. Uh, Jeffrey Keiti, Jean Seville, is an author and a member of Solidarité Québec Haiti, the co-founder of Canada Haiti Action Network and the co-founder of Akasan. He is an artist and activist immersed in global peace and social justice movements. His website is jeffreykaiti.com and he hosts or co-hosts several weekly radio programs uh, both on CHUO 89.1 FM in the University of Ottawa and uh, CKCU 93.1 FM at uh, Carleton University, among others. Uh, Jean Seville is a political analyst on Canadian as well as international media, University of Waterloo graduate and Canadian civil servant. Uh, Jeffrey Katie lives in Ottawa, Gatineau, but returns to Haiti on a regular basis. Um, Jean Seville, it's a pleasure having you back on the Global Research News Hour. Welcome. Always a pleasure, Michael. Claim they need to go into Haiti to protect the interests of the people from violence, cholera, and so on. But the call to action is happening in the interests of the governing forces. You've said uh, the last time that uh, you were on the program that about a dozen white families hold political and economic power over the 99% uh, Haitian black population. Uh, these individuals are effectively protecting their power with gang organizations of their own. So can, can you acquaint us with some of the ways these families are protecting their power that Canada and the U.S. did not feel the need to, to go in there and, and protect their, the interests of the Haitian people? Mm -hmm. Yes, well, you know, it's a feature of Haitian society that has remained constant from colonial time to the present time, that there is a minority of individuals who are well protected by outside forces who hold political and economic power on the island. 
uh, at the time of uh, the colony, the slave colony, of course, these were the French um, colonizers or the Spanish or the British who were never in uh, extremely high numbers on the island, but they always could count on the armies of their nations and even the army of the United States nearby uh, to make sure that the white population on the island uh, gets the backing uh, whenever there would be a, a, a rising up of the black population, which was enslaved at the time. Now, this feature, um, you could say briefly, uh, was overthrown after the success of the Haitian Revolution, but to 10 years max, because as soon as Jean-Jacques Dessalines, the founder of Haiti, was assassinated on October 17, 1806, you had a gradual return of the old order. Uh, and today, when uh, we hear talks about, let's say, uh, uh, the, the former Haitian army, uh, uh, which was disbanded by President Aristide back in 1995, um, it would be mistaken to think that this was indeed a Haitian army. When you look at the history of that army, how it was created, I mean, it's not singular because uh, in, in, in the Americas, many armies were created by the United States, armed, trained in the School of Americas. But in the case of Haiti, that army was established by the U.S. occupation forces when they landed in 1915. Uh, and essentially, the Marines, when they entered Haiti, uh, they did social re-engineering in the society. Basically, they took a, a, a group of Middle Eastern uh, um, refugees, some of them who came from Syria, from Lebanon, uh, Israel, and they established them as the new rulers uh, of uh, the economy in Haiti. Uh, and, and they maintained their power through intermarriage with the old mulatto families that were uh, uh, on the island, uh, you know, uh, post-independence. Now, to protect their interests, because they are a numerical minority, a visible numerical minority, uh, but they have access to education, access to resources, and connections outside of the island. And so uh, to protect their interest, uh, the military, the, the U.S. occupation forces that were there from 1915 to 1934, basically establish a racial hierarchy, or not establish it, they return with the old racial hierarchy that was there before independence, okay? And the army that was created, you could see it. Um, for the longest time, there, there was no officer of that army that was a black Haitian. First, they were all white Americans who were in that army, and they still called it Force Armée d'Haïti, but it was all white Americans who are the generals, uh, the lieutenants, etc. And then gradually they replaced the white Americans with mulatto Haitians, and then the foot soldiers were Africans. So that army, whether it is uh, in the early days after the Americans left or recently uh, up to 1995, their role on the island was to protect the interest of that tiny elite. And that's why in... Uh, all kinds of incidents that have happened, such as in 1937, when uh, Dominican dictator uh, Rafael Leonidas Trujillo assassinated upwards to 30 or even more uh, Black Haitians and Black Dominicans, uh, there was no Haitian army to do anything. 
uh, to fight back or to retaliate or do anything in the protection of the Haitian population. Instead, the so-called Haitian government of the time, who was led by Stenio Vincent, uh, which is also a, a Haitian mulatto, because once the Americans invaded, all of the Haitian presidents were mulatto. Uh, they basically clearly established these are the people who are going to uh, run that island. Uh, that uh, one third of the island. And you could see it's the same thing that happened on the eastern side of the island. You know, in Dominican Republic, when you look at the Dominican population, it's not that much different than the Haitian population. But the ruling class in Dominican Republic is all the light-skinned mulattoes. And they even created some kind of myth, whereas Dominicans don't even recognize themselves as Africans. Uh, so, you know, I'm I'm simplifying whenever I talk about this because there is a necessity to you know to be concise. But uh, what I'm trying to say here is that it it is really a mistake when people think that uh, white supremacy, which was the ideology under which the Americas were colonized, is something that was done with something that became marginal that only concerns the Ku Klux Klan and things like that. No. It's at the heart of policies and in the way uh, nations such as the United States interact with Haiti, interact with Dominican Republic, and also in the way those societies um, organized power uh, in, in the country. So the, the gangs today play the role that the UN occupation forces played between 2004 in 2017, that is to keep the masses in check for the benefit of that small minority of 15 white families. Mm -hmm. And the MINUSTA or the UN occupation forces that landed in 2004 came in because there was no more so-called Haitian army which played that role of keeping the masses in check. And so when you look at the casualties uh, that uh, we observe either from the Haitian military or the so-called Force Armée d'Haïti or from the UN troops or from the so-called gangs, they come from the same class of people. You know, uh, uh, and, and that, that tells you what their enemies are, who their enemies are. Yeah, I just want to go back to what you said just a couple of moments ago. Um, I mean, usually there are financial interests that that... Uh, motivate Canada and the United States to to respond to to intervene as, as we saw in 2004 when they removed a democratically elected government and replaced it with a UN occupation essentially but that they essentially controlled but really it, it is motivating Canada uh, to respond the way it has I mean is it it's, is it the mining interest is it the oil interest or sweatshop interests or or is it as you say, the, the, some sort of a fundamental preference for this uh, white supremacist uh, uh, running the show. I mean, from a systemic perspective, I mean, how are these decisions taking place? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it's it's always difficult when we're trying to, you know, separate those issues because it's it's usually several issues together, several motivations. Of course, Canada's foreign policy is tied to the hip uh, with the US foreign policy, okay? It, it usually, wherever the US stands, that's where Canada stands with some nuance, okay? 
but not with fundamental difference. So that's the first element. Uh, and just like you see that um, if there is a war in Europe, for instance, like in Ukraine right now, you won't see Canada standing one way and then the U.S. standing another way. It, it, they walk together. Okay, so in terms of uh, and and to illustrate that, there is the quote from our foreign uh, minister, our former foreign minister um, Bill Graham, uh, who was quoted in Janice Gostein's um, book, saying that. You know, when they made the decision to uh, participate in the coup in 2004 against Haiti, they got another arrow in their quiver because you cannot, uh, there's a limit to how much you can say no uh, and quote to our political masters in Washington. That's what Bill Graham said. And so, you know, we were offside uh, in, in Iraq uh, and, and Afghanistan and we came onside on Haiti and we got another arrow in our quiver. So, the the subservient posture of uh, Canadian leaders towards Americans in terms of their foreign policy is nothing new. And so Haiti is not a difference uh, in that particular area. The second element is that it's easy to 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 attack Haiti. It's easy uh, to side with the minority in Haiti, especially when your population is ignorant of what's really happening on the ground. You know, I, I am surprised to see so many people who are hearing for the first time that Haiti is ruled by 15 white mafia families. Yet, imagine how many reports have been made by CBC, by CNN, by BBC, by France 24 about Haiti. They talk about everything else except who actually owns those um, you know, for instance, gas stations in Haiti. You know, the, the the other day to justify the occupation, they were saying that oh, there's a gang that took over, uh, you know, a, a gas stockage uh, area, and therefore we need to liberate that so the people can have access to gasoline, so they can send their children to school and blah blah blah. But they're not telling you that this uh, gas uh, um, depot is owned by Gilbert Bijou the richest man in the Caribbean, who owns Total in Jamaica, Total in Haiti. And the direct connection that these guys have with the gangs is not only linked to the fact that some of the gangs have admitted that their weapons come directly from these families. Okay, It also comes from the fact that they have private ports. And one of the uh, famous private ports is called Lafito, which is one of uh, the most... Um, uh, elaborate uh, ports in Haiti, where regularly there are uh, illegal weapons, war-grade weapons, uh, that are caught uh, at that at that port. So it is not something that is mysterious. It's not something that's not documented, but you don't see it in media. And even with the so-called sections that the United States and Canada started to announce in tandem, okay, um, you know, and they keep on putting out there that, oh, this is only the beginning, we're going to, uh, and they started to use general terms, like, oh, uh, we're going to go after corrupt people uh, in, in the political and the private sector. But they never mentioned uh, people from the private sector by name, okay? And the reason why they don't do that is because those folks, okay, highlight who the uh, allies of the United States and Canada in Haiti are, and they know it looks ugly. 
Okay, And the same thing happened with the situation in Venezuela. When people started to find out that there are right-wing criminals in Venezuela uh, who were uh, supported uh, you know, uh, with uh, Guaido and all of that, Canadians and, and Americans, they, they don't want to admit that. The same thing when you have those uh, right wings in Ukraine, you know, uh, neo-Nazis, etc. So it's a pattern. You see that everywhere. The, mm. the, the, the alliances that the United States nurture in many of the countries that it invades stand to the extreme right, racist right. And it doesn't matter whether you have a democratic or a Republican uh, administration in the United States. It doesn't matter whether you have a liberal or conservative government in Canada. They always side with the, is, this extreme right wing in those uh, uh, territories. And that's why when we talk about it, you cannot isolate the question of, of ideology. But when it comes to, the, 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 always this question comes, uh, well, Haiti is an impoverished country, so what is there to gain? Uh, you know, what is the financial or the economic interest? But you cannot look at it in isolation. First of all, it's not just the island. Yes, the island has resources. Okay, when Christopher Columbus was stealing the gold, uh, they didn't have sophisticated uh, uh, equipment. So it was surface gold that they were taking. And so there's plenty of gold in Haiti. But I think it's more linked to energy uh, because there is a thirst for energy and some of the um, perspectives that they've done on the island on both sides, Dominican side and on the Haitian side, shows that there's natural gas on the island and there are uh, uh, some oil deposits uh, in Haiti and in the water as well. But I don't think that's the main thing, okay? Because they already have, it, Haiti is kind of like a territory that they already occupy. And the model that they've used for the past 200 years where they have these minority uh, families through which they have access to whatever they need, which is mostly uh, uh, cheap labor. Because Haiti was making sweatshops, we have sweatshops making t-shirts, uh, uh, all kinds of uh, undergarments. And at, the, at a certain time we were making baseballs for uh, American companies. And of course, uh, the use of uh, impoverished Haitians in uh, the plantations in, in Dominican Republic for sugarcane and, and, and all of that. So in reality, it's it, it's really also the fact that Haiti is considered like the control. If you cannot rule over Haiti, if you cannot impose a blackface dictatorship in Haiti, you will not be able to do the same in Salvador, in, in Costa Rica, in, in Nicaragua, in, 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 you know, and you see many countries in Latin America are, are moving left. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're coming out of uh, the sphere of influence of the Americans and they don't want to give up that uh, uh, model of uh, imperialist control where you have, you know, fake elections, puppet leaders, uh, who you basically uh, ask to uh, make decisions that are in favor of multinational corporations that are owned by Americans. And so it's it's only uh, uh, difficult to understand if you're isolating Haiti as a, a singular country. But if you look at it as, okay, if you lose control of Haiti, uh, then, you know, <laughs> it will be very difficult for you um, 
to maintain control in Bolivia, in Colombia, and these places have shown that even when the United States and Canada managed to conduct a coup in those countries, like they did in Bolivia, for instance, the population can continue to resist and overturn that coup. And there again, it's about resources, because the lithium of Bolivia, uh, they wanted to have access to it without paying the fair price. Mm. Trudeau is... Uh... Currently, he's trying to uh, interest other Caribbean countries, the Caricom countries, into, to go into Haiti by force. Uh, uh, perhaps there's sensitivity to the idea that uh, this is going to be another 1915-style invasion otherwise. But, but how likely is it that he will succeed in, uh, by hook or by crook in getting these countries to, to put blackface on this white supremacist foreign intervention? Yeah, I, I think they were very, very overconfident uh, in this ridiculous adventure uh, because, you know, they were claiming victory very early because there were a couple of countries like the Bahamas and I think even some folks in Jamaica were saying that they were ready to send troops. And for people who are not familiar with the Caribbean, these things might sound plausible, but it, these are ridiculous ideas because a country like, Barbados, or, or not Barbados, uh, because Barbados is now truly independent, uh, but the Bahamas uh, or, or, or Jamaica are still under the control of the Queen of England. So these are not even independent countries. So where are they going to send their, they're going to find these armies to send, okay? What they're really talking about is exactly as you said it, they're putting a black face to a white supremacist intervention. And so you had leaders, uh, because there are a few real leaders in the Caribbean, such as the Prime Minister of St. Vincent and Grenadine, although it's a tiny country that also has these contradictions with regards to, to, to its own independence. But uh, Prime Minister Ralph Gonzalez always stood his ground with regards to the bullying that the United States uh, has exerted in the Caribbean, whether it is against Haiti or against uh, Venezuela. And, and he said, you know, very clearly that sending troops now in a, under the umbrella of the United Nations in Haiti uh, would be, you know, trying to say that there is a legitimate government in Haiti that we're supporting. And he doesn't want anyone to make any mistake about that that they don't recognize uh, this fool who was handpicked by um, the, the BINU or the uh, UN mission in Haiti, uh, because that's not how the Haitian constitution says you establish a, a prime minister. So this guy, uh, uh, Ariel Henry, uh, was named by the former uh, uh, puppet president, um, Jovenel Moïse, and the day he was going to, um, I guess, ratify him as a prime minister, which would have still been illegal, okay? Because according to the Haitian constitution, the president names the prime minister and he's supposed to be ratified by the parliament. But this illegal regime that the foreign occupation forces established in Haiti has never organized any elections throughout the time that it was there. So there is no parliament, okay? But even that did not happen because they killed the president the same day that he was supposed to have the assumption of the prime minister. So this guy is completely illegal. But what do we notice? He's not only sat there, no one knows what his expiry date is. 
because the prime minister is supposed to have a mandate uh, and, and, and his term is supposed to expire uh, as the term of the president expires. There's no president. This guy is prime minister with no end date. Okay. Uh, and he's named uh, a president of the judicial uh, system, uh, la cour de cassation, the highest court of, of the nation, which even um, on paper, uh, you cannot have a prime minister have anything to say. There's no role for a prime minister in naming a president of a cour de cassation. It's the president, again, who's supposed to name this person. There's no president. So we're dealing here with a situation. And while they're doing that, you know, it's like a chess game. Uh, what they're trying to do is to set the stage for someone to replace the current fool and to keep Haiti in a perpetual situation of a leader whose legitimacy is questioned and whose only source of power is the foreign instances that says, yes, he's the president or he's the prime minister or is whatever of Haiti, just like they did with Juan Guaido uh, in Venezuela. It didn't work in Venezuela, but in Haiti it is working because the population doesn't have enough power uh, to overthrow the system yet. But it's it to me it's only a matter of time uh, because like you saw uh, uh, um, Justin Trudeau has had to uh, backpedal uh, you know whereas they were announcing that you know they're ready to uh, to enter Haiti and you know they're looking for troops in Africa uh, they mentioned Kagame uh, in in Wanda as a place where they were going there was an op-ed in Globe and Mail saying that yes this is what we need to do uh, you know. Uh, invade Haiti and 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 get Kagame to lead the troops. Um, these these folks are not stupid. They understand that whereas Haiti is a very impoverished country, as you know, folks who are watching movies they can see the references to Haiti in in the Black Panther two movie. In the Black world, Haiti is considered a mecca. We understand that African, even corrupt African leaders know how ugly it would look if in 2002 their population see them as fools were sending soldiers okay to support an invasion whose objective is to protect 15 white mafia families in the mecca of the black world and there are all kinds of people who are making those uh, political decisions who don't pay any attention to the psychological uh, situations and that's why they conducted the coup in 2004 not realizing that 2004 was a year of celebration of the end of racial slavery in the americas uh, and that you know to them this is no big deal you know only white history is important well when you see this coup took place and you see folks like danny glover uh like harry belafonte like maxine waters the black world okay any black leader of importance in the world can Condemn the coup, because we all understood this coup was conducted as a result of a handful of white men and women meeting at Mitch Lake, okay, on January 31st, February 1st, 2003, and deciding that Haiti must be overthrown and be put under UN tutelage. And then a year later, they send their white soldiers to kidnap the president of Haiti, okay? And, and to this day, you know, they're trying to lie and, and say that, well, this guy was no angel, as if the folks who are saying that are angels themselves, as if there are angels on the planet, 
yeah. you know, totally irrational talk, okay, to yeah. try to justify a racist coup. And mm -hmm. and it wasn't, you know, a, a, a banal. And when they talk about that, they talk about it as if it's, okay, well, oops, we made a mistake. No, yeah. you didn't make a mistake. You conducted a coup where thousands of people were murdered. And yeah. if we really had a, a justice system in the world, like, you know, the uh, the so-called uh, coup penal international or the um, uh, international uh, crimes tribunal, some of these folks would have been uh, uh, condemned and judged for, for for that coup in 2004. But of course, we live in the world where there is no such justice system. Uh, but thinking that in 2022, it was going to be easy for them to mobilize troops in Africa and the Caribbean was absolutely stupid. And, and sometimes I wonder who are the advisors of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau? Mm. Well, I guess uh, we're going to have to close it there, but I, I, I want insights, uh, Jean. We'll talk again as this situation develops um, in the future, but uh, thank you for your time. Thank you very much, uh, Michael. And I also want to thank uh, Global Research because you guys have covered this story. And and, and I like the fact that, um, you know, you, you go in depth. And, and that's something that I find, unfortunately, in Canada, people don't realize um, how much what we're calling the mainstream media is not about information. <laughs> okay. And so we do need information as opposed to, you know, uh, official propaganda. For sure. Jeffrey Kaiti, also known as uh, Jean Seville, is an Ottawa-based author, radio host, and social justice activist who publishes in English, Creole, and French on his blog, jeffreykaiti.com. That's J-A-F-R-I-K-A-Y-I-T-I.com. With Solidarity Quebec Haiti comrades, Jeffrey Kaiti also often tweets at hashtag Black Nationhood Matters. If you're in Canada, feel free to take a look at solidarity actions you can take part in in your community by visiting the site www.solidaritequebechaiti.org. That's S-O-L-I-D-A-R-I-T-E hyphen Q-U-E-B-E-C hyphen H-A-I-T-I dot org. Next week, we have a special interview with the founder and director of the Center for Research on Globalization, Michel Chosodovsky, about his latest book and his take on events around the globe. Don't miss it. You're listening to the Global Research News Hour, a program funded by the Center for Research on Globalization and produced in collaboration with campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe, Ininu, Oji Cree, Diné, and Dakota, the birthplace of the Métis Nation and the heart of the Métis Nation homeland. The show is aired on other radio stations across Canada and the United States and available for streaming or download at the site globalresearch.ca. To leave feedback on this program, please email globalresearchnewshour at gmail.com. I've been the show's host and producer, Michael Welch. Thank you once again for joining us.